It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shot. Roger Federer captures Basel crown, Sabalenka takes the honours in Zhuhai, and Andy Murray battles to an emotional victory in Antwerp. We are back and ready to catch up on what has been an incident-packed last couple of weeks on the ATP and WTA circuits. We've just had Basel and Vienna this week on the ATP Tour, whilst the end-of-season finals in Shenzhen has just started for the women. There's been lots of talking points over the last couple of weeks, Kim, but I think there is really, you know, as British fans, there's only one place to start, isn't there? And that's Rafael Nadal getting married in Mallorca, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I don't know why British fans in particular need to need to care about that. But I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's many heartbroken Rafa fans around the world um, now that he's finally, you know, married uh, his long-term girlfriend. Um, sadly, I wasn't invited, but neither was Roger Federer. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the photos look nice and the the former king and queen of Spain were there and, you know, Feliciano Lopez and, and Spanish tennis royalty. So uh, it looked like a nice occasion. And that was last weekend, I think. And Rafa's already been out in Kazakhstan and now in Paris. So so no honeymoon for him at the yeah, moment. He's probably waiting. He's probably waiting to the off season for his honeymoon. Where do, where, where do you think they'll, where do you think they could go? Where do you think they'll go on their honeymoon? Well, where hasn't Rafa already been? But I mean, it's very oh, different traveling, you know, for tennis, true. isn't it? I don't know. I'll be, I'll be intrigued. They'll probably just go on a boat around Mallorca. I don't know. You know, they like to be at home, don't they? So, <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll, maybe we'll see it in the, the gossip columns in yes, the future. But possibly. Uh, let's, let, let's kind of look back on the last couple of weeks, because as I said, there has been a lot to talk about. Um, and let's, let's start with, with Basel and, and Vienna. Roger Federer, Dominic Team, you know, homecoming heroes, both uh, winning the tournaments in their, you know, respective uh, countries that obviously they, they grew up in. Um, let's start with, you know, Roger Federer. He's captured his 10th Basel title, defeating Alex de Menor in the final fairly routinely. And, and to be honest, I think, I think the whole week was pretty routine for Federer. I mean, he, he kind of was very clinical against Sissipas, who obviously beat him you know, earlier, earlier in the season at the Australian Open. You know, he, he, I think he came through in all his matches in straight sets. It was just, yeah, it was just, it was just a fairly routine result. Yeah, he didn't have to play his quarterfinal as well because Stan Wawrinka withdrew. So very serene progress for Federer. Uh, I think he's unbeaten in Baal for like 24 matches now. So I guess that's that's four titles on the trot there. His 10th overall. 
um, you know, it's great for home Swiss fans, I suppose. They expect him to be there and to win, and that's what they got. So, um, yeah, he's now on 103 titles, so he's getting ever closer to the elusive 109 that Jimmy Connors has got. So, you know, important, you know, next step for that. Um, yeah, the final itself was pretty straightforward, but Alex de Menor, mm. you know, this is his fourth final of the season and the only one he's lost. So, you know, a really good performance from mm. him. Um, he's actually going to be in the next gen finals starting like next week. So going into that, you know, he's looking in good form. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. And, you know, I think it's, you know, let's just talk about Roger Federer because, you know, I looked at the the post-match, um, the post-final, um, the post-final ceremony and, and I saw Roger Federer in tears and, and, you know, it's always kind of, it's a bit kind of like, well, yes, it was very serene and kind of was very, it looked on paper like it was quite, a lot of the matches were almost like a formality, but it just shows you, you know, the great tennis that he's producing and he's almost say, you know, he savors every, you know, every title and, you know, the emotion that, that came into it. It was really, you know, on show in front of his home fans. And it was kind of, you know, it was great. It was kind of great to see, um, you know, the fact that yes, it's his 103rd title, but he almost kind of, he's almost kind of celebrating it like, like it's his first. Yeah. And it's nice to see, you know, at the latter stages of his career, that it still means an awful lot to him. And he's, you know, trying to, I guess, chase down history now. And so it's, you know, still very important to him. He's still enjoying himself. And, and perhaps when you know that there's maybe not that many, more years left you know you really start to savor what you Mm. do have so I think yeah it was really nice to see really nice moments for for Federer and and all the Fed fans out there um one thing of note I would say from Baal was we had a somewhat surprise semi-finalist in Riley Apelka um so he was up against yeah De Menor in in the semi and then we had Sitsipas reaching the other semi so yeah I mean Riley Apelka that was his biggest kind of tournament um today i suppose biggest semi-final of his of his career yeah um and he actually he knocked out rba who well i think still had some chance of getting to london but with that loss his uh his chances won't be kind of won't be helped he's still out outside the top eight in the race to london now so yeah i think i think berrettini and zverev will hopefully be buying a beer for a polka because i yeah. think he's done he's done them a massive <laughs> kind of solidified massive their, favor, their chances yeah. absolutely um, um and then out in vienna as you said a uh, homeboy dominic team won the uh erst bank open so he was the top seed uh he beat diego schwartzman in three sets in the finals three six six four six three um so that's actually dominic team's fifth tournament of the year which is somewhat surprising i think that's the most of any any male player is that correct for 2019 i mean you know this is dominic team not fifth tournament he's probably played like a million tournaments every single 250 out there but yeah his fifth <laughs> fifth title um which i think puts him on his own out in front with yeah the most titles this season and it's kind of crazy actually because you know i think he's won now back to back 500s and, you know, he's, yeah, he's had a really good season and almost, I think kind of, you know, at the moment we're almost kind of, you know, it's kind of passed us by, I think a little bit of how well Dominic team has been playing because, you know, we've been talking about Daniel Medvedev focusing on, you know, his crazy, you know, unbeaten streak. And, you know, we forget that, you know, Dominic team, you know, over the, you know, since, since the US Open has put some really decent results together. I think he's on a, as I said, he's on, I think he's won back-to-back 500s. Um, and yeah, he's he's really stepping up and, you know, that's going to do him, 
you know, he's going to be a contender, I think, come, you know, the World, world Tour finals. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, in London, I could see him winning it, to be fair, um, with the form that he's in. And, you know, we know he can beat the top names on any given day, mm, especially, exactly. you know, London isn't best of five sets. So he's certainly up there. Um, Berrettini did well to get to the semis as well. So, again, kind of carrying on his good form as well, kind of from the US Open onwards. Um, and also, Just Joel, some yeah. British success as well. Uh, Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram won the doubles out in Vienna. So... That's a really positive victory for the, yeah. you know, for and I think half British pair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that I think that does them a world of good in terms of them reaching the uh, World Tour finals, which obviously would be great for Joe Salisbury to play in front of a home crowd. Um, Kim, I don't know if you actually saw. Um, I think probably. I mean, I've seen quite a few, but Joe Salisbury did a tweener that not even the TV camera actually captured, which for me, I think actually is shot of the season. It was unreal for any of our passing shot listeners. If you just kind of go on YouTube and type Joe, Joe Salisbury tweener, you'll probably find it. It was just the most unbelievable passing shot uh, that I'd ever seen. You know, obviously completely fitting to talk about it on the passing shot tennis how, podcast. If the but, cameras uh, didn't, didn't capture it how how is it on how is it on youtube is it a fan a fan video it just looked like the ball just like came out of the corner of the screen uh and passed um past the the players at the, at the net he was just so far off the court that yeah it, the cameras just did not could could not have captured him um and he caught the he caught the edge of the line on a cross court winner that's absolutely incredible um but yeah joe salisbury's playing some great tennis with mm. his, his partner rajiv ram and you know they're they're game they're, they're going to be a threat at the world tour finals i think i don't think anyone was gonna you know want to play them because i think they've been in great form they've been recently. very solid all all year though to be fair mm. so yeah i'm definitely hoping to see them out in london and i haven't actually watched that shot so i'm gonna go on as soon as we finish <laughs> recording and have a look myself <laughs> but talking of brits uh british success joel um this hasn't well this happened last week but a certain andy murray is a title winner once more which i think you know we we, we have got to discuss i know it was a week ago now but my god um antwerp what did you make of that <laughs> absolutely unbelievable uh, i was in i was actually at a pub and i was kind of watching it on live i was kind of following it on live score and you know i think murray went down 6331 and in my head i was like oh you know he's done really well to get mm. to the final but um you know i switched it i kind of looked back like 20 minutes later and you know if, if, i think for me it, you know as a tennis fan i think it's that like you know, I sense something could be on. So I switched from live score to my Amazon Prime video app. And was, I decided to watch Excellent. it whilst I was in the, in the pub. And uh, yeah, I, I actually got my friends to watch it with me. And um, yeah, it was just an unbelievable, unbelievable turnaround in that match. And I mean, I mean, obviously in the kind of context of the season, going from start of the year Andy Murray retirement videos at the Australian Open to Andy Murray um a champion on the ATP tour it's just it's just really hard to believe i know we've we've come a long way i was looking back at like an instagram post i did back in january i think you know at the time when everyone was like oh andy murray thanks for the memories it's been such a pleasure you know we're going to miss you so much and here we are. It's just insane. And yeah, like you, I was following the match and thinking, oh, you know, 
he's done well, you know, oh, he's got a set. That's great. Um, and then, yeah, he just, just went and, and did it. So, and I think, you know, I mean, that was his first title since 2017, Dubai. So I'm sure it must feel amazing for him to be back on that kind of winner's winners list. And um, I don't think we ever expected him to capture a title so quickly after coming back. No, not at all. And, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, we talked about Roger Federer's tears and the fact that, you know, he's really, you know, even though it was his 103rd title, you know, he's really obviously savouring those moments. And, you know, you get that same sense with Andy Murray because he was, you know, he was emotional once he, you know, had realised what he'd done by beating, you know, Stan Wawrinka in, in three sets. And again, he's just savouring that, you know, savouring that moment. And, you know, it was, it was just, it was just fantastic. And, you know, Kim, I think we were on WhatsApp kind of talking, you know, during the, Mar- he played, I think, Marius Coppel, who's kind of a big server in the semi-finals or quarterfinals. And we were worried, we were worried at one point that he was gonna, I think he served for the match, but Coppel basically fought back and, and, took it to kind of a, a third set sh- you know, shootout. And, you know, at that point I was a bit worried because I did think, you know, maybe that, you know, an Andy Murray with, you know, a relatively little kind of match experience this season would have, you know, maybe wilted, but obviously not comes out and, you know, it's, yeah, he's playing like the old Andy Murray. Yeah. And it, it was, I think, quite notable that he won his last three matches in a deciding set, which is good signs that he's, his mm. fitness is getting there. Um and that the hips holding up and I mean, he hasn't mentioned anything about the hip. So fingers crossed. And I think he's going to be playing Davis Cup in Madrid in a couple of weeks. So I guess that's the next, the next stage. And I mean, you'd have to say against, you know, the likes of Netherlands and Kazakhstan, he would be a favourite to win, to win those matches. Yeah, I think, I think the, I think for me, the question is kind of like, well, how do you, how do you manage the situation? How's Leon Smith going to manage that situation? You know, do I keep him, you know, just for the doubles? You know, do, does he play with the, you know, the doubles with Jamie Murray or, or yeah, does he kind of, is he more just kind of just the singles and I'll let, you know, Jamie and I don't know, Joe Salisbury or, or who, I don't know who, I can't remember who it is, but, you know, I think, I think there is maybe a question there on how you, you still need to, I think, manage him. I don't. Mm. I think he will go out and want to be like, I want to play every single match, but I still feel like there might be a management. But just to see him back on court is going to be absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, it's it's just it's just great. To see. <laughs> it's, it's just unbelievable. I know. It's just like, even a week on, we're like buzzing still about it. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so um, really, really good positive news there. Um, and what other tournaments we had last week? We've had quite a few. So we had the Moscow event, Joel, um, which again, we talk about home home heroes, but we had uh, Andre Rublev winning his home title in Moscow. Um, he actually crushed uh, Adrian Manorino in the final, 6-4, six, 6-love. Six, um, and he's now back into the top 25, I think, Rublev, which is really good because he's had a pretty difficult time of it sort of since uh, the back end of last year. You know, he dropped actually dropped out the top 100 at a back injury last year, opened up actually about some mental health issues that he was struggling with. So really positive that he's kind of come back, won Moscow um, and his rankings back up there. And yeah, I mean, he's obviously had a good run of form, hasn't he, since kind of the US Open swing onwards. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I think it's interesting because I think he found it really difficult not to be on a tennis court and, you know, do something that he loves. And I think he kind of, you know, struggled with that when, you know, he had an injury, but, you know, he's obviously really enjoying playing his tennis at the moment. And, 
you know, he's almost playing catch up, I think, with, um, you know, with Kachanov and, and Medvedev um, to, you know, to get, you know, to kind of close in on that kind of, you know, on their, I guess, on their sorts of rankings. And, you know, Russian tennis, Russian men's tennis is, I think, in a really good place at the moment because you've got, you know, you've got these young, you know, these are young guys. You've got Medvedev, Rublev, Kachanov. And, you know, I think they're all going to kind of push each other to kind of, um, you know, to the best of their abilities. And, you know, I think that they're in a very, you know, similar to kind of Canadian tennis, Russian men's tennis seems you know, to be in a very promising position at the moment. Yeah, I completely agree. Because actually, since the likes of Davidenko and Safin retired, <laughs> they haven't really had anyone to fill that gap, have they? Davidenko, so think... <laughs> that, is a, that is a name from the past. Well, so I think, you know, having these three up there, yeah, that that's so good. And I can totally see them all taking Russia to a Davis Cup win this year yeah. I mean mm. I, they're one of the teams that I'm the most excited about watching just because all three of them I think are very you know entertaining characters and and just really go for it on court so yeah I, yeah amazing I do still think I think as you said I think one part of that is with Medvedev and, and Rublev um, fiery, they, can, they? <laughs> they can hit the self-destruct button at any moment and I think that's you know part of what's so compelling about them and I don't know if it runs in Russian tennis you know with Mar- you know with Barrett Safin yeah. uh, you know it feels like you know they've still they still have that you know that fire that fire in their belly and it could I don't know it could erupt at, at any moment but um yeah we had that happen in uh, Russia uh, in Moscow and then also we had a first time winner in Stockholm with uh, Denis Shapovalov uh, in his first ever ATP final uh, de- defeated the Serbian Filip Kranjevic uh, straight set 6464 um the interesting thing here is I didn't realize Shapovalov um prior to Stockholm his record in like the latter stages of uh, ATP tour level tournaments, uh, not that great. I think he was 0-7 in semifinals uh, prior to the semifinal in Stockholm. But um, yeah, he is obviously one, you know, we've been, he's been on our radar for, you know, he's been on our radar, I guess, for, you know, a few seasons now. And, you know, I think maybe it's taking him a little bit longer than I guess we were anticipating, um, you know, to win his first ever title. But, you know, I think everyone, you know, who's a Shapovalov fan is, you know, hoping he can, you know, can kick on from here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, again, you know, Canadian tennis is in a pretty healthy state at the moment, isn't it? With Andreescu on the women's side and, you know, Oje Aliassime on the men's and, and Shapovalov. So, yeah, another another great uh, kind of perhaps breakthrough for another kind of next gen next gen player, now gen, however you want to call it. Um, so yeah, Shabavalov won out in Stockholm. Um, so that's kind of the ATP rounded up uh, for the moment. But we've had quite an important tournament going on this week out in Zhuhai in China. So it's the WTA Elite Trophy, which for any, any of our listeners who aren't quite aware of, of what that is, it's kind of the the second tier WTA finals. So it's for players who are what ranked like 9 to 16 in the world. Does that maths calculate? Does that does that work out? Nine to seventeen. <laughs> it's like, it's something like that, but it's, it never always doesn't. Um, it doesn't always that doesn't always materials because I think materialize because I think you know it's obviously some players drop out, but um, yeah, generally speaking, it's like the you know the second 
almost like their second division, I guess. Um, the championship. The, you know, <laughs> <yeah>. um, <laughs> So anyway, Arena Sabalenka um, won won the Zhuhai uh, Elite Trophy today with a straight sets win over Kiki Burton's in the final. So yeah, she won six four six two. So pretty straightforward in the end. Um, and yeah, that just kind of carries on Sabalenka's run of of good performances in China because she's won three titles this year, all of which have been in China. Um, <laughs> so pretty dominant. And then she's going to Shenzhen. This coming week to play in the doubles in the in the you know the top oh, WTA course, finals, yeah. so mm. she'll be I guess hotly tipped for the doubles there. Um, but yeah, we had the likes of you know Donna Vekic, Jastremska, Sofia Kenin, Alison Risk, Mukova, Madison Keys, Petra Martic, Zheng Saisai, Elise Mertens, Maria Sakari. So absolutely fantastic host of players um, split into four groups, and I mean Saisai Zheng, she got to the semi final, so. Great for home fans. And uh, Carolina Mukova as well was a semi-finalist and she only kind of narrowly lost in two tight sets to Sabalenka. So um, that was great what for me. It? I've kind of become a bit of a Mukova fan. So I was pleased to see that, that she was up there. What is it about Sabalenka and China or Sabalenka and Asia? It's, it's just like her form. I, you know, I think I was reading um, you know, today, like her, her win-loss record is like, you know, is very kind of even you know um outside asia but inside asia it's like it's completely um you know it's 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 very much you know leaning towards you know wins over losses and it's just very kind of you know it's just it's, it's something i can't spiritual really explain home. <laughs> maybe china's like a spiritual, spiritual home. home um <laughs> she doesn't get on with europe uh or anywhere else so <laughs> maybe she just she's just gonna want the chinese to like buy up the whole of the wta tour so she can just constantly <laughs> yeah. play in China. Well, then she'll be world maybe, number one maybe before we know it. Maybe she's behind all of these new tournaments that are coming in 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 Asia <laughs> on the uh, on the on the WTA tour, so she, she can enter them and uh, just yeah just go and win them. But um, yeah, I'm a bit cautious doing... though um, with Sabalenka. You know, we were talking about her so much at the end of last season because she had a great run of mm. form, and we were you know expecting good things of her this year in like the slam so I'm, I'm very reluctant to say that again this year but I'm pleased that she's ended the season in a positive fashion instead of having kind of the dismal kind of first half that she did have uh in 2019 so perhaps you know maybe I should predict her for a slam next year you know maybe this maybe this time round she'll actually do it I, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> if they had the Wuhan Wimbled- as they were calling it Wuhan Wimbledon, the fifth slam I don't know we'll see I still think in my head, Grand Slams, I still, I'm like leading to her, her more towards like a doubles, dare I say doubles specialist than like a singles, like a more of a doubles contender than a singles contender. And I, you know, I guess I'll, you know, if next yeah, season, right. if I'm kind of, if I'm kind of talking to Sabalenka, I'm like, right, next season, I want you, yes, I want you to be a doubles contender, but I also think you can be a singles contender. So, you know, go out and go out and prove that because, you know, as I said, we, you know, we've seen that in glimpses in the past. So, yeah, let's see. Let's see what she can do um, you know, next season on in, in the singles. But, um, yeah, we also had in the WTA tour uh, last week, uh, Luxembourg um, and Yelena Ostapenko, who's had a, you know, a fairly rocky season, I think. You know, I think we can all kind of agree on that. Um, I think she entered Luxembourg actually on a wild card and she defeated uh, Yulia Gerges uh, in straight set 6-4-6-1, um, who was a defending champion. So, um, yeah, good, uh, 
a good um a good win for Ostapenko, yeah, who I've said, you know, hasn't really had the best of best of seasons, you know, given that, you know, she's a you know former Grand Slam champion. No, exactly. She's been kind of pretty out there really in terms of players you'd pick to to go far she's not been on on the on the list really but yeah she had a good couple of weeks uh claimed the Luxembourg Open and she reached the final didn't she of um oh the one that Coco Goff won I can't remember where it was Linz Linz <laughs> that was it I'm sure because she Coco Goff beat Ostapenko in the final didn't she so um yeah she had a good couple of weeks um and talking of Coco Goff she actually won the doubles in Luxembourg with Katie McNally so that is their second double title of the year. So Team Coco, as they I love themselves. That. Did you just? Oh, oh I thought you no, made I that up. Made I thought that, that would have been thing. that would have been great. <laughs> that is a Team thing. Coco. Oh, yeah. So they they're yeah making a name for themselves in the doubles. Um, and then we also had out in Moscow, um, which was a, a joint ATP WTA tournament. We had Belinda Bencic winning the uh, women's title against Anastasia Pavlichenkova. So she came from a set down. Uh, to win three six six one six one, um, and then by reaching the final and winning that, Bencic got the last spot in the WTA finals out in Shenzhen, which is starting. Well, it's already started as we're recording this, so um, that's a roundup of all the action from the last few weeks. And that's time for a quick ad break. Okay, so Joel, are you ready to um, get your quizzing brain on? Because I've got a slightly naughty, mysterious player for you this Ooh, week. Naughty! <laughs> I like I like the sound of that. Oh, where is this? I don't. Where is this going to go? I've no idea. I've been. I have been preparing myself for another mysterious player. I'm. I'm I feel like I've not done myself justice on any of the ones that you you have given me. Uh, but maybe, maybe this episode, maybe I will do myself justice so uh right okay okay i think this one is easier for you than perhaps some other people (laughs) i could have picked um but yeah let's see if any of our listeners can also um can can do well at this so right first clue are we are we ready i'm ready okay um i reached a career high singles ranking of 48 in the world (laughs) oh my (laughs) so when you say naughty did you actually mean budget is that the well? Uh, Forty forty-eight um, <laughs> in the world. Okay. Um, okay. Next. Next clue. Second clue. Okay. Um, I was born in nineteen eighty-three. Nineteen eighty-three. Um, so ninety-three, oh three, thirteen. So we thirty, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Evo, Evo Karlovic? Nope. I'm oh. sure. I'm sure he's been higher ranked than 48. But anyway, yeah, he probably has. Um, yeah. Number three. He's... Number three. Uh, my sibling is possibly more famous than me within tennis. Oh, oh, I've. I think. I think I might have it. Oh no! What <laughs> is it? Is it Christoph Rockus? No, <laughs> no, but that's a really good shout, actually. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Oh. <laughs> we do love a bit of the Rockus Brothers. Okay, for uh, you, <laughs> number four, my best slam result was the third round at the US Open in 2008. Oh, uh, 2008. So that was when I was like proper, like, young up and... Mm siblings um so could could be brothers could be could be sisters possibly 
Oh, um, God, I'm just trying to think of siblings off the top of my head. Um, I am giving you the most obscure clues uh, earlier on, just so you 2008. know. Okay, next clue. Um, I retired in 2013 and now do pundit work on the television. Oh, um, um, Dinara Safina. No, but this person has a clue, oh. has, a, has a link to Dinara Safina, which I'll just tell you about. Um, this not, isn't really a clue because this is quite out there. Um, this person <laughs> reached the semis of the Wimbledon girls in 2001, losing to Dinara Safina. Um, how do you know that? Off, you know that off the top of your head? Uh, no, I I wrote it down when I was researching. Oh, okay, okay. I won 28 ITF titles, um, reached the semi-finals of six WTA internationals and one premier. Oh, my. So it is a female. <laughs> it is a female. It is a it female. It is a female. Okay, right. Famous sib... Oh. Do you know what? I really wish this was like a who wants to be a millionaire and I can phone a friend or or ask ask passing short listeners. I can't listeners. Re- remember what clue we're on now, but I can... Um, do you want the next one? Yeah, go on. Go on. I captained uh, my team in the Fed Cup to promotion in 2019 uh, to the World Group 2. So still playing in 2019. Um... Captained. Captained, captained my Fed Cup team to promotion to World Group Two in 2019. Oh, Kim! <laughs> For some reason, I keep wanting to say Christina Pliskova, but it's obviously not. <laughs> um, next clue. Siblings. Yeah. I finished as British number one five oh. years, five for five years, five times. I finished British number one. And the siblings. <laughs> I really, I'm sure many of our listeners will have got this by now. Uh, I'm running out of clues. Um, uh, Anne Kiofovong. Yeah, Anne Kiofovong. Yes! <laughs> Come, well on. Come on. Come <laughs> on. I'm sure like all of our listeners know, probably brother... got it. Yes, James Kjofovong. Um, her brother is um, James, um, and he's probably yes. a bit more famous. Maybe to our, our non-British listeners might not have got that. <laughs> they might know James Kjofovong, though. He he might be more famous to them than Anne. Um, so, yeah, let us know how, how you all did. Um, how many clues did it take you to get that one? A bit more niche, maybe a bit more aligned to the British listeners. Yeah, that was but a good I thought, one. I thought, why not? Yeah. <laughs> So let's Great. go back yeah. to the WTA tour. Um, as we mentioned a bit earlier, briefly, the Shenzhen WTA finals are getting underway. So we've had the first um, first round of round robin matches from the red group today. Purple group will play tomorrow. Really interesting lineup, Joel. So Ash Barty, Naomi Osaka, Petra Kvitova, Blinda Bencic, Karolina Pliskova, Bianca Andreescu, Simona Halep and Alina Svitolina. So this is the cream of cream um, mm. Is that a saying? Cream of cream. The cream of women's cream of tennis. The crop. That, the cream, cream of, of the, the crop. crop. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. So we've ha- <laughs> already had Osaka and Ash Barty winning in, well, three set matches today. Um, 
Barty actually beating Bencic, which has meant she's actually clinched the WTA year-end number one ranking. Mm. Um, and I think actually just a point, you know, I think in this event, we seem to get a lot of three-set matches, don't we, compared to, say, like the men's World Tour finals, which a lot of the time we tend to see kind of whitewashes and quite boring matches in the, in the round robin. Yeah. yeah, whereas the WTA finals for me always seems to be a lot more exciting and competitive and I guess that kind of reflects women's tennis more generally but I think this year it's it's just a really promising good mix of like kind of players who have been in this event for like maybe the last couple of years and then obviously the first time as like Bianca Andreescu and uh, Ash Barty so really exciting week ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, you look at that, you look at those two groups and I think you can, you could genuinely make an argument, I think, for all of those players that they could end up um, as the champion. And, you know, it is interesting because we, you get some really competitive matches at the, you know, the, at the World Tour Finals equivalent for the women. And they're, they're, they're obviously very entertaining. And again, today we had two kind of really entertaining you know, matches. I mean, Kvitova versus... I think it was Osaka versus Kvitova and Osaka came through, um, you know, six, four, I think in the third, but it was just kind of both players had, you know, both players had their moments and, you know, it's just that kind of to and fro that you get, I guess, in, you know, in the end of season finals for the women that you don't necessarily get in the world tour finals for the men. You don't get that like to and fro. It's just normally a seam roll or a whitewash and, you know, it feels like it's only interesting once it gets to the semi-finals. But you know, we started in Shenzhen on a bang, um, which I think is great because you know this is the first this is the first year that it's it's here. You know, it was in Singapore, and you know they'll be looking you know to obviously create their own legacy. And you know, the fact that they can you know have you know eight really competitive players you know bring the best tennis out of each other. You know, with gripping matches that are kind of you know that do go the distance that are three sets. Um, you know, I think it, it's really, it's really, it's, you know, it shows that it's going to be really entertaining from day one. Also, it's now the richest title uh, on offer in tennis. They've actually doubled the total prize money from the Singapore finals last year. So it's a total of $14 million in the prize fund, um, which actually for both the men's and women's tours, this is the most on offer at any tournament. Um, the winner will take home $4.725 million, which is pretty insane. That's a million dollars more almost than what Andreescu um, earned for winning the US Open. So, yeah, massive prize pot. And, yeah, as you said, I mean, it's very hard to predict who's going to win. We have Svitolina, who was the defending champion. She won it last year without losing a match. Uh, we've got Andreescu coming in, you know, hasn't really lost very much this year. You know, Osaka ended her her kind of big win streak um, in Beijing last month. But I'm sure Andreescu is going to be totally gunning for this title. Uh, talking of Osaka, obviously, she's won back-to-back titles in Japan and Beijing. So she's got to be up there as well. And Ash Barty, you know, world number one. I mean, yeah, you can, as you said, make a credible case for for any of them winning. I mean, I'm going to go for Svitolina just purely because she wore trousers to <laughs> the photo uh, set, the the pre tournament oh photo God. shoot. And as one of our listeners pointed out at Daydreamer Oz in 2017, Wozniacki was the only one to wear pants to the photo shoot. 
she won the title. And in 2018, Svitolina was the only one to wear pants and she won the title. So Svitolina has obviously remembered that, worn pants to the photo shoot and she's going to win. She's going to win. You, you watch this space. Pants, straight trousers, definitely. The yeah. I think I think that Svitolina, well, you know, you obviously she's thought, you know, the you know, richest, biggest person in in you know in tennis or in tennis history or whatever okay i'll wear some trousers then if that if that's i I, you know i'd love to see if that happens is it gonna happen i I don't know Um, i don't know we did ask our um our twitter fans what they thought of the dresses on show for the um what is it for the opening ceremony um for the unveiling um which it's like an iconic photo now isn't it it is yeah yeah. every year just like when um, come out. just like when the men do like the selfie at the world tour finals exactly. they always get a selfie don't yeah. they of all of them so yeah it's kind of become a one of those things we look forward to see what everyone's wearing exactly because it can just i mean it can go in any direction possible <laughs> it literally you know it, it yeah it could go in any direction possible i've already kind of i'm looking at simona halep and thinking you know is she just like cut out <laughs> half of the half of the leg or what, what it does is going look on like there? she's got one leg encased in a trouser and one as a skirt maybe she was like oh i'm not sure if i want to go all the way with trousers i'll do half and half um like i genuinely i genuinely think it looks two-dimensional just kind of looking at the photo i don't know if any of our listeners think that either but uh <laughs> yeah it just looks like a piece of blue I know Just what like you a mean. Piece of blue two-dimensional fabric. Yeah, anyway, for anyone who um, hasn't um, seen it, we we have put it on our Twitter. But to be fair, <laughs> I'm not keen on any of the outfits. Um, I think a lot of our listeners, their their favourites were Belinda Bencic and Naomi Osaka. Mm. But yeah, there's quite a lot of different styles going on. So um, you know, it's 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 nice. They they can wear what they like, you know. Um, but personally, I'm just I've seen better dresses elsewhere. Um, but there we go. Um, we will see what happens this week out in Shenzhen. What matters on the court, of course. So, um, who's your money on, Joel? Shall we make a potentially Ooh, awful make prediction? some terrible predictions? Yeah. Yeah, um, what we do best. I am going to go for... Um, I'm just going to go for Andreescu. I just think... I think, I think that's... Yeah, I just think that... Um, I think Osaka's, I do think Osaka's playing really good tennis at the moment, but I don't know. I just think Andreescu's still got that kind of fearless factor about her. I know that she lost to Osaka earlier on. So maybe that could, maybe that is even the final Osaka Andreescu. I'd love mm. to see that. That would um, be great. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Andreescu going to get her own back on Osaka in the final and take home the most money ever in women's Yeah, because they played out in, was it Beijing? So that would be a quite a good, I mean, that would be a great like last match, wouldn't it, for the WTA for this for this year. Um, I'm going to say Svitolina for the trousers, but deep, deep down, I feel like Asaka is probably the more logical, um, the logical <laughs> one to go for. Svitolina for the trousers. <laughs> unbelievable insight. And Kim, you know, we spend like a week, a week on like the script and you're going to, you know, we, we think about, you know, the analysis 
And yes, it's it all comes down to the trousers at the end of the well, day. Well, why not? I mean, it's not like my <laughs> predictions are notoriously good anyway, so I might as well, well have a yeah. mundane reason for for saying someone's <laughs> going to win. Um, another one we could try and predict is the next gen finals, which are kind of like the second. Well, no, they're not even the second tier World Tour finals. They are the World Tour finals for players. Uh, age 21 and under and they are held in Milan they start on the 5th of November and I think we've got a very exciting lineup actually so we've got some kind of classic next geners like Alex de Menor, Denis Shapovalov, Francis Tiafo. Um but we've also got Kasper Ruud joining the the fray uh, we've got Miomir Kekmanovic from Serbia we've got Hugo Umber of France and Michael Emer, I never know how to say his name. Emer, Emer, Emer. I think that's Ymer, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also Yannick Sinner, who's kind of very hot off the press, if you like. Yeah. Um, he's, he's been, been given a wild some, card. For he's been playing some really good tennis yeah. last couple of weeks. Um, um, I think so, he. Yeah, I mean, he, I think. <laughs> go for it. What are we going to say? I was just going to say that Sitsipas did actually qualify, but. Of course, he's going to be in the ATP finals in London. So obviously, he isn't going to play the next gen. And Felix OJ Alizim did qualify as well, but he had to withdraw because he's injured at the moment. He's got an ankle issue. So looking at our list of eight names, I you'd have to kind of, for me, go for Alex de Menor, just given yeah, surely he's the, the form favorite. that he's in. Um, comfortable favourite, I think. Exactly. You know? Yeah. He's won it's three titles test- this year. He's just reached the final of ball. You know, he reached the final at this event last year. Number 28 in the world. Kind of a no-brainer, possibly. I, I agree. I think I think he is the he is the one to beat. Um, I know. I think, um, you know, I think what, as I was, was going to say, I think what's most interesting for me, or think I'm possibly the most excited about, is Yannick Sinner of Italy, who I've said, yeah, he has been playing some very good tennis over the last couple of weeks i think he's been given you know a couple of wild cards into some of the tournaments in in europe that have been going on and i think he had a good match with stan vaverinka in antwerp where he you know he pushed him um i think he's you know he's won a couple of uh he's had a couple of victories and um yeah i think he's a, he is a very exciting prospect um to put in you know to put amongst kind of that group um but yeah i think certainly Dumanor is is the favorite shapovalov potentially yeah um, of course I mean I think Dimonor and Shapovalov are probably head and shoulders above the rest of the field in terms of their chances I mean I would probably put Sinner maybe as third favorite which might sound a bit out ooh. there no but Sinner did beat Gail Monfils uh in Antwerp yeah. and yeah lost to Wavringa in the semi-finals so I mean, why not? He he was close to making the next gen finals himself. He he got a wild card, but he was only one spot away from actually qualifying for this event. So, and he's almost inside the top hundred. He would be the youngest player inside the top hundred. So, he's definitely one on everyone's radar for kind of the future. But I mean, we've also got. Casper uh, Root is the first Nordic player to reach this event. Uh, Francis Tiafo, who did very well at the start of the year, reaching the quarterfinals yeah, of the Australian off a Open, bit, I think. Yeah. yeah, massively tailed off really. Um, and Kekmanovic, you know, he's made a big leap up in the rankings this season. Got to his first Tour final earlier on in the year, um, his first top ten win, and then Hugo Umber. Um, I mean. 
he did he play Andy recently? Didn't he play Murray out in Antwerp? Yes, I think, I they think played, so. Didn't think... they quite recently? Mm. So um, you know they're kind of all all in there. But yeah, for me, Alex de Menor surely is the logical yeah. the logical but winner. I guess... but we've got all the different um, stuff that the tournament are going to be playing around with, which is probably the other thing that this tournament is kind of getting a reputation for. Are there any highlights there? I've, I, I I never know what to. I never know what to expect from any of these innovations. Did you? Do you think any of them are, are interesting at all? I'm well, just kind of gonna look, yeah, look. no ad scoring. Um, they're going to do. They're well. They're doing uh, in-match player coaching via headsets. Headsets. They've done that before, haven't they? I think so. Yeah. Um, they're doing shorter sets to four, so with a tiebreak at three all. Um, I'm not sure if we've seen that before, but they're kind of continuing to try new things. Um, it says that they're doing something called Hawkeye Live, electronic line calling through Hawkeye Live. So how does that differ to normal Hawkeye? I'm not too sure. I think we're going to have to watch this and find out. <laughs> yes, I think we. I think we are. I think it's obviously it's still you know this is re- still a relatively new event. I think it's like the you know the third edition of it, and yeah, there are some innovations there that I'm, yeah I'm interested to see how they how they play out. Um, but yeah, I think certainly. De Menor will be going in as the firm favourite. Um, but let's quickly move on now to our new feature, the bulletin board. Uh, name name TBC. We're still we're still thinking about it. But um, yeah, here we're just kind of rounding up anything else that has caught our eye over the last couple of weeks. And I think we have to start him here with uh, Sasha Bajin uh, and Christina Mladenovic. Uh, they have gone separate ways with the suggestion being that Bajin has uh, said, I don't want to coach, you know, effectively, I don't want to coach you anymore, Madenovic. Um, I potentially have got someone more exciting to coach next season. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, we're waiting for his, his new announcement, I suppose. Um, I mean, to be fair, like Mladenovic, you know, she did improve under his, his coaching from like 68 in the world to 39. So, you know, it's had some, some impact, but I think, you know, with, with what he did with um, Naomi Osaka, maybe people were expecting, expecting more. Uh, Maybe they just didn't gel, you know, maybe they didn't, click so fair enough i mean who are we thinking kerber muguruza perhaps kim Kleisters. <laughs> i yeah i'm i'm i i've no i have no idea i i think kerber or muguruza that they're probably the like sensible suggestions um i know i have seen some you know wild rumors on twitter particularly around kim Kleisters, um which i would be very surprised by i think you know in terms of a player who needs a coach who needs more direction i think of those the, the one who needs it most for me is muguruza mm, um I agree. you know she's a she's a multiple grand slam champion you know if, if you know bajin kind of comes on you know in into her team i think you know that would uh, you know hopefully that would you know set her on the straight and narrow and back up to you know back up to where she belongs because again this season i think she's blowed hot and cold a bit you know a bit too much yeah um, too much cold i think this season she's and i think uh, the same same with kerber as well i think mm, yeah dreadful seasons really for both of them so um but you know they're both 
multiple Grand Slam champions, and certainly if they put it all together again, can can win more slams. I ha- I have no doubt. But um, what else has been going on? So mentioned briefly earlier, we had Djokovic and Nadal playing an exhibition match in Kazakhstan, which I think you know has drawn a bit of controversy because. Um, I mean, some people don't think, for example, that really they should be doing these sort of exhibitions during the season. Maybe they should be reserved for kind of out of season. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of like, oh, Kazakhstan, um, you know, there's a lot of money involved, obviously, um, in this one. However, I think it was going to both Djokovic and Dahl's respective foundations. I think the the proceeds. Um, in the end, I think Rafa won 11-9 in the you know, in the match tiebreak, but nothing, not that that really matters. No, no one actually pays any attention to the result of the exhibition. Yeah, as you said, I think the, the interesting thing here is that, you know, having exhibitions at this time essentially, you know, arguably deprives the tour of the, its biggest names. And it was interesting to see um, Edwin, Edwin Weindorfer, whose name I probably said Weindorfer. wrong. Weindorfer. Um <laughs> tournament director um, in Vienna. He basically came out and was a bit kind of like, you know, these ex- exhibitions shouldn't be happening because you know, they're depriving, you know, places like my tournament, um, you know, of, of the big of these kind of of the biggest names. So, um, you know, I think that's an interesting debate. You know, I wonder what, you know, our, our listeners, um, do you, you know, do you think these exhibitions should exist? Should they exist? in the season let us know um we'd love to to hear from you because yeah i think it's a i don't think that that conversation is is going away anytime anytime soon but then i mean the think of the people of kazakhstan you know they get this great opportunity to see two of the best players ever and you know there's not an awful lot of tennis events in kazakhstan so um why not, you know, spread it around a bit? And, uh, you know, for both Rod, Rafa and Novak, it, you know, they might not want to commit to a, a ACP 500 uh, the week before the Paris Masters. So I don't know. But actually it has meant that Djokovic couldn't earn any ATP points this week, um, which means that Rafa's actually going to take over as world number one, I think on the 4th of November. Um when Novak's going to drop a load of points from from last year. Um, I'm guessing that's because the timings of the weeks are different this year to last year. I don't know. But anyway, um, Novak hasn't been able to to get any points, obviously, on the ATP Tour this week. So it means that Rafa will become number one again. Um, so a bit of number crunching involved in that one. Um, but yeah, let us know. Should exhibitions be allowed to be played during the season? What What do you all think? Let us know indeed. Um, yeah. And, and just actually to add that, just talking about a bit of world number one chat, I think Ash Barty today confirmed her status as end of year world number one um, with her victory yes, over yes. over Benchich. Um, so, yeah, I think that just about covers everything. Obviously, we've got more tennis this week. We've got the Paris Masters, the final Masters event uh, before, obviously, the World Tour finals um, at the O2. Uh, we've got WTA Shenzhen on the moment as well, and uh, yeah, we'll and uh, well and the next gen finals. So um, we'll be back um, at some point to kind of catch up on all of those events. Uh, but in the meantime, if you've enjoyed listening to us, feel free to give us a rating on iTunes. Um, you can also follow us on social media uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. Or if you want to contact the show, um, if you've got any comments, um, you can email us passingshotpod 
at gmail.com um but yeah hope you have enjoyed this catch up um and yeah we'll be back uh we'll be back soon so hope you can join us then but for now thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>